Hello and welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Forest Swords. Since the very beginning, Matthew Barnes has pursued a multidisciplinary practice. He makes his own artwork, creates pieces for art galleries, and has composed for theatre, dance, film, and video games. But his own music sounds at once ancient and modern, and his latest album on Ninja Tune is perhaps his best to date. Holly Dicker got the chance to lift the lid on his practice at Rewire Festival, where this exchange was recorded before a live audience back in early April. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Forest Swords is up next. time I was in The Hague, in this lovely building in fact, was to see your dance performance piece, Shrine. So I was wondering whether you could tell me about how that project evolved. Yeah, I got approached by an arts organisation in Liverpool called Metal, who commission various pieces from various artists throughout the year. And I'd been in contact with them for a while about an idea I had about doing some sort of piece, maybe an installation, all about breathing. I was fascinated with the idea that humans as a species find the idea of hearing someone else breathe completely abhorrent and disgusting and horrific. And I love the idea of putting it on a big sound system and trying it out. And then that kind of crossed over with a time where I was getting a lot of contact from dancers and I was kind of exploring dance a bit more in my work. And so it kind of just galvanized at the right time. And so I worked with a friend of mine called Carmel, who's a choreographer, and we created this piece that was based around the breathing sound. And yeah, it worked really well, I think. I was really happy with it for a first, first go. So how did it actually work, writing the breathing? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Putting it together was quite an effort. I took lots of samples of myself and of my friends and sampled quite famous scenes from films and TV shows where you have kind of gaps in speech. And so I put those together and kind of sequenced them and yeah, it, it made rhythms and yeah, created this, this kind of dance piece. I gave it to Carmel who put together this beautiful dance for it, beautiful costuming. I thought it was really powerful and quite sort of animalistic. Yeah. Was there more sort of intent behind it than just based on breathing? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of interested in the idea of 
I don't know. It, was, it came at a time when I was becoming comfortable with my own body and kind of exploring my body as like a tool on some level. Actually exploring that through dance. You know, humans are, as a functioning system is quite an interesting thing. We find it quite disgusting, a lot of it, or we hate our faults because we're told that they're faults. But actually embracing that, especially nowadays, embracing your body and yourself uh, in the face of things that are going on in the world can be quite... A uh, powerful thing and almost like political uh, protest on some level, like fully embracing yourself can be really powerful, I think. I feel like bodies have been quite a prevalent theme of yours and you've done a lot of work with choreography. I just wondered where, at what point did you start becoming obsessed with this theme? Around the time of the last, the last EP I did, I got a lot of contact from dancers who'd use my music in choreography pieces or they'd rehearse to it and I'd never had any experience of the dance world of contemporary dance I had no interest in it to be honest the main reason was because it's really difficult to get an entry point in something like that you can't just go to a contemporary dance piece and fully understand it I don't think I feel like you have to have some kind of or I felt like you had some, to have some kind of grounding in it but I realised actually it's a very open world and you can quite easily go in and just see what you like. So I was getting a lot of videos. People would send me videos of themselves dancing to my music. That's which is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It was wild to see people use it in that way and use the rhythms for a kind of physicality. And I thought, okay, let's try and explore this. If dancers find something in it, something within it, let me try and work with that and understand it. Are you a dancer yourself? No, <laughs> but I do move on stage and that's part of me. I didn't realize I did it until people started commenting on it. Okay. I didn't realize I moved at all on stage until people started talking to me about it. And it was at that point where I was kind of like, okay, let me try and understand this. What is it about music that makes me want to move? Or is it's just like muscle memory kind of makes me want to move in a, a very automatic way. So Shrine was one of the first pieces to launch your Dense Truth. It's an art studio and a record label. Can you tell us a bit more about why you decided to set this up? Yeah, Dense Truth is kind of an umbrella. I was working with so many different people, amazing kind of videographers and cinematographers and choreographers, that I thought, why not try and like bring all these people together and try and make projects from that under kind of one roof almost. Yeah, it's a record label, creative studio, anything it wants to be really. So I'm always in contact with new people that like generally people are like, you know, check out my work, they'll email me directly and like, hey, I'm a filmmaker or I'm a, uh, I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting so much amazing stuff through, I thought it would be a shame to kind of just let them go in a way. So. I'm trying to collate all these people to work on projects and work with me and work with each other. I thought it'd be quite a cool, okay. cool thing to try and achieve. Have you done any art exhibitions or installations with this yet? I released the Shrine score, the breathing score, on the Dance Truth label. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my first foray into trying to press stuff up myself and exploring the idea of running a record label, which is mildly terrifying and very stressful. How did the pressing up go? The problem is at the moment is that so many major labels are pressing up really shitty old records because everyone's buying vinyl again, mm -hmm. like everyone's dad is buying vinyl. So you have pressing plants that are pressing up old Rolling Stones records and Bob Dylan records that no one needs. You can find those in charity shops and thrift stores. <laughs> So the actual process of getting a record pressed now can take four months mm -hmm. from sending it off and there's not a great deal of spontaneity in it. So it's quite frustrating doing that, but it was very liberating, really, really liberating to realise that actually if I find some amazing music or someone sends me an amazing tune, I could just put it out if I want to. I mean, this whole DIY approach is something that you've pretty much done from the start. Right. Uh, yeah. why, is, why is this so important for you? Uh, I grew up listening to a lot of, I guess you could call, call it DIY bands. I grew up listening to a lot of Riot Girl music, so bands like Bikini Kill and Huggy Bear, Sonic Youth, 
things like that that made their own fanzines, they pressed their own records up, they were super, super DIY with their approach. And as a teenager of like 13, 14, that's pretty mind-blowing that you don't have to go down the roots of, of traditional labels or traditional structures that are in place. You could do it all yourself. If you've got access to a photocopier, you can make your own magazine. That's amazing. And you can give it to your friends or you could sell it. Yeah. That's super, super liberating. And I, so I'm, I still think about things like that when I'm making work and, and doing stuff. Well, you actually... Um released a fanzine right with your engravings album yeah yeah what was on that i haven't had a chance it was kind of a photography zine but yeah it was kind of a little nod to all the zines that i bought when i was a kid Mm -hmm. and all the stuff that inspired me and yeah it's just super easy to do stuff like that i think i think it's really liberating to make your own work and just see stuff printed up Mm -hmm. really really fun (laughs) so i think we should backtrack this a little bit and sort of explain where this creative visual art crossover has come from I guess it must have started when you were studying design at Liverpool yeah so I studied at the Liverpool School of Art in Liverpool did graphic a graphic design course it was a really liberating exciting time for me because I met so many people that opened my mind to different forms of music and different ways of creating things like it was the first time I heard stuff like grime or techno. Previously, I was really into punk and rock and hardcore and stuff like that, very guitar-based things. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that I'd heard fully electronic music. Aphex Twin, that, like, that blew my mind. Standard. Standard, yeah, of course. And so even though I was quite late discovering those, I was probably 19 or 20, it felt very <laughs> formative. And I was like, okay, this is super exciting. I'm definitely going to use this in future. But yeah, the design stuff, I've always been a graphic designer. I feel like that's my, that's what, that's my root, rooting. Mm-hmm. And music's almost like an accident outside of that. I would still be designing were it not for me doing music. But yeah, I've read sort of that if the music thing did fall away, you seem to have plenty of other options going. I love doing music and I feel so lucky to be able to come to festivals like this with like-minded people and see amazing bands but I, I have no kind of romanticism about the idea of being a musician I'm totally cool with going back to doing a day job if it all went to shit you okay. know <laughs> so let's talk about that day job which was graphic design right where yeah. for a company I was a magazine designer that's, that's perfectly all right. Yeah, yeah, it's not an uncool job. And it, it was really good practice for, for designing my own sleeves and designing my own zines and doing work for other bands and stuff. I learned the tools of the trade doing that kind of thing. What other bands were you working for? Uh, I did stuff for the No Pain and Pop label, who I released on back in the day. And yeah, various other bits and pieces for Friends bands. You know, having that having that um, ability to just like make something for someone else can be really really nice it's like a nice gift to give to mm-hmm. someone what sort of visual art influences do you have or from I think mer- a lot of it comes from the punk and the zine stuff that I used to read so it's very kind of like cut up yeah cut up mixed media different textures from different sources you know it's very 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 varied using lots I use lots of found photography and things like that I always like the the thrill of finding an amazing photograph that I can use mm-hmm. or you know for example the new album is a photo from the National Geographic in the 1920s that I found in an old magazine and I was like oh my god I have to use that I have to have it it just fit the feel of the record for me um, maybe we should describe what it is yeah good idea it's a man on his back, yeah. bouncing a boulder on his shins. Okay. It sounds, it sounds as wild as it looks. It's kind of really, really, it's a really strange image that doesn't really give you much. You can't read it either way, and I really like that. Before we start talking about the new album, I'd like to work out how you started producing in the first place. Yeah. So I guess you were still at uni, or were you actually playing in bands before? I was in punk bands when I was at school, so I played a lot of guitar music, but it was only after university where I was exposed to electronic music and people taught me things like Logic and Ableton and 
reason where I was like, oh wow, I could do this. I could do it at home. I could do it in my bedroom. It's really exciting. Before that, it was kind of all guitar music. Let's talk about your first guitar, or do you are you one of those people that sort of holds up this uh, instrument in idolizing it? I thought it was a really powerful thing at one point when I heard bands that used it and wielded it in like really interesting ways, not necessarily just in a macho way. That was when I got really excited. You know, bands like Mogwai mm. or Deftones, like those two bands are amazing to me because they have the ability to use it in really heavy, heavy settings and still pull out beautiful elements from it. Mm-hmm. There's like real light and dark there. What about the instrument itself? I think I read somewhere that you still use um, a shitty 100 pounds guitar. Yeah. Any particular reason? Because I don't want it to get lost in airports. <laughs> uh, <laughs> airports have a habit of losing guitars, unfortunately. So I don't mind. I don't need an expensive guitar. I don't really hear the difference. Okay. To you be still honest. have the same one that you had? Yeah, yeah, the one I use live is the one I recorded all, all my records with. Okay. Yeah, it's, it costs like £120, I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Excuse <laughs> sorry, me. it's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you think that I'm going to combine guitar music with electronic music? How did you first start out producing? I got made redundant from my job, got laid off, and I, it just came through boredom. I was just playing around on my laptop, trying sounds out, trying to work out the software. And part of that was plugging my guitar in and, and seeing what sounds I could kind of conjure up from that or could sculpt using that. Because a lot of the electronic music that I was listening to was strictly electronic. And I felt, being such a fan of guitar music, that I didn't quite connect with it in the way that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I was basically making music that I wanted to hear, I think. Speaking of which, where does the R&B sort of pop influences come from. I'm talking specifically about your version of Aaliyah's If Your Girl Only Knew, which I think is great. That's on your um, Dagger Path EP, but I wondered where that came from exactly. Uh, There was a time at university when I was being exposed to all this kind of grime and techno and interesting stuff that I started really heavily listening to Timbaland and the Neptunes, who were producers that operated in, in the pop sphere but used loads of weird sounds and weird textures. It really felt like they were pushing things forward in fascinating ways, and I could hear that. And it made me, yeah, just really, really excited. They were sonically doing things that no other producer was doing, and the songs that they were making were just straight-up bangers, basically. It was just so good. I was, like, trying on some level to mash up all these things that I was hearing and being inspired by. So you have like the hip hop thing and you have dance music and electronic music and you have the guitar stuff. And I just tried to sculpt it into something that made sense. Okay. Do you think it made sense to other people? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I mean, how were your early EPs received? Were you that conscious about what you're making and then what effect that would have not really I didn't have any expectation because I, I didn't really the problem with making music is that sometimes you you have no objectivity of, of what it sounds like you have no idea where it sits in the grand scheme of things and so when I put it out I didn't really understand where it sat and I still don't really I mean I could do festivals like this that are primarily electronic they have bits of bits of kind of rock stuff or I can play at a club night or I can go on tour with Mogwai and it seems to make sense in all those different areas which is really exciting for me and very yeah as a music fan it's very exciting as well I think. Is there any sort of space or venue that suits you better like you said you know you can be with bands or in a club is there somewhere that you more, feel more comfortable. The more I do live shows, the more I enjoy playing club spaces, just because you become a lot more aware of the energy in the room. Like when you play somewhere like a church, inherently it's a very, it comes with so much kind of contextual weight to it, and people act in a different way than they act in a club space. And it's it's fun playing with those preconceptions sometimes, but generally when you try and tour, I like playing playing club venues now, the energy in the room is just so much different to anywhere else. 
Have you played in a church before? So many churches, yeah, a lot of churches. <laughs> are you sick of that? <laughs> it's fun because the, obviously the acoustics are designed to be incredible. It's designed to be like this, this fantastic God sound, mm -hmm. but also it comes with its own problems in that generally it's seated and generally you don't get control over various things that you would do in a club. Also, I had my worst ever show in church, so I have bad memories of churches. You know what my next question is going to be. Okay. Tell us about that. This is it's Austin Presbyterian Church. Oh, dry. It's, yeah, really dry. Uh, and it was for South by Southwest, okay. which is just so brutal. For anyone that hasn't been to South by Southwest, don't. Why? You're going to have to elaborate. It's just the worst. It's, it's like Disneyland for shit bands. Okay. <laughs> and then there you are playing. In and the there I am playing. And so, obviously it's amazing to go somewhere like that. It was, it was before a US tour, so it felt, it felt like it made sense to do South by Southwest. But um, it was the only show that I've ever nearly walked off stage because it was so bad. Okay. Because of the people, the energy, uh, just, the sound? The problem with South by Southwest is you're, you're essentially just on a conveyor belt. So you're one band of thousands of bands. And so for someone that's quite particular about things like visuals or lights or the whole aesthetic of the space and how it feels, that's quite a freak out for me. Yeah. My control freakery went wild and I just couldn't deal with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, let's maybe talk about a better live tour. So I actually caught one of your shows with Mogwai in Berlin at the Temper Dome, which is an amazing space. It's huge, massive ceiling. Yeah, high ceiling. It's like an arena, basically. Yeah, it's enormous. And I thought that that set was really amazing, but maybe you can tell me a bit more about how you ended up touring with Mogwai. I just got asked, which okay. is amazing. Obviously, Come On Die Young was the Mogwai album when I was a teenager that really hit home with me. It's the most beautiful, fragile, powerful record that probably I've ever, I'd ever heard at that point. And so to be asked was a huge privilege. I thought maybe it wouldn't make sense and that Mogwai fans would be very, I don't know what the word is, like very standoffish maybe, because their type of music can attract quite serious, serious fans. But it turns out they're super open-minded and it was a real, real ex amazing experience to go on tour with them. And they're a huge band as well. People don't realise how big they are now. They can play these amazing 4,000, 5,000 capacity spaces. So, so to, to get to play those with one of my favourite bands is just, yeah, a real, real privilege. And I, I would disagree. I would say that your music is actually quite fitting with what they're doing. Okay. Again, that goes back to the idea that I have no idea what it sounds like. I have no <laughs> concept of where it fits in. Yeah. Okay, so whilst we're talking about live shows, I think you have to clear up something for us here because um, you are actually a duo, or there are two of you on stage when you're performing live sometimes. Can yeah. you tell us who the other person is and what's going on? Yeah, so I produce and make all the music, mm -hmm. but when I started to play shows, I was doing it on my own and it just didn't seem to make sense. There was something that didn't quite work for me. And so I thought, well, there's kind of a dub element to a lot of what I do, especially the early stuff. So bringing out a bass player to play those live would add this extra weight that you'd never get with just synthesized bass or pre-recorded bass. And it adds a completely different dimension to a live set because you get this kind of physical weight to it. You can feel it in ways that maybe you wouldn't if it was just my electronics. So it's, it's also really fun to tour with someone else and share those experiences. Does this someone else have a name? James, sorry, yeah, his name's James. I'm looking at bringing more people on eventually. Okay, it's just kind of, you know, when you fly different places, it can be quite stressful having lots of people around you and trying to, trying to work those things out logistically. But yeah, it's really good to play shows and share those experiences. And I think it's a totally different thing to playing on your own. I think I'd be incredibly lonely if I was on my own. I'm an only child as well, so it's, it's a nice change to hang out with someone all the time. Isn't he one of your good friends from home? Yeah, he's from Liverpool as well. Okay. We've basically spent so long together that we've almost morphed into the same person. So we get confused for each other quite a bit, which nearly happened before with you. You do look identical. <laughs> Thanks for wearing the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
tell me a bit more about your live set. I believe you had a guitar last time when you were supporting Mogwai. Is that yeah. usual? Yeah. I always like to incorporate the guitar okay. in it. I feel comfortable with one, actually. Really, really comfortable. Do you miss it if it's not there? I do, yeah. It feels strange. I've done shows without the guitar, and it feels odd. Okay. Really, really odd. And a lot of spaces that we play, you probably have never seen a guitar. They're club spaces that are just used to DJs and laptop musicians, which is totally cool. But you can sometimes hear people being a bit like, what is going on? <laughs> when he pulls out a guitar and it's a bit like, wow. But it adds an extra texture to it and it adds this kind of live element that I really like. And do you enjoy the shock factor? A little bit, yeah. It's good to play with people's expectations sometimes. If people who've heard the records know what, know there's guitar on it, but maybe people at festivals and stuff, wouldn't expect it. The ones who just wandered in. Yeah, so it's good to play with those with those expectations and people's yeah preconceptions of what electronic music could be. Yeah. What about visuals? Because uh, I believe that you use a lot of visuals, but yeah. not today. No, I'm trying out a non-visual set. So I worked with a collaborator of mine called Sam. Again, it goes back to the dense truth thing. I have so many friends from home who are so talented and it feels like it's a shame to not bring them into my world a little bit. If I've got stuff that I can collaborate with them on, then it would make total sense to do that. So we worked on some films for the last tour. Very kind of filmic, beautiful shots of like jewelry and close-ups, macro shots of things. So um, sorry, you shot these films yourself? Yeah, so we, he would come out and, and do them to the music live. He would kind of play them along with me. So it was almost like a third member of the, of the band. Um, and I like that as a designer. It's nice to have some kind of visual element to it. But increasingly, I've become aware of things like lighting. You can lose, use lighting in interesting ways, or you can use the space. You can set the space in interesting ways. You could dress a club space in an interesting way. Have you tried any of these techniques out yet? I'm going to, yeah. On the next tour, I'm going to try... Yeah, dressing things. I don't know. I don't really have any answers yet, but it's just okay. fun to be curious about things like that. Okay. So you don't just roll up to a space and be like, okay, here's the lights. Here's the show that you might have seen a million times. It's just being a bit more inquisitive about ways that you can, you can use that. And present yourself. And present yourself, yeah. So what's the reasoning behind not having visuals this time? It's at a weird time because the album quite hasn't come out yet. So I feel like I'm going to just have a go and, yeah, see what it's like. It's also good to be a bit more aware of your body. It kind of goes back to the body thing. When you have visuals there, you're so aware of that maybe people's attention is on something else. Whereas when someone's attention is on you and you know it's on you, you're aware of it, you kind of act maybe differently or you're more... It's a different energy, I think. And this is something that you're interested in trying out? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's just good to kind of be a bit more present and connected with people, I think. Something that I'm exploring a bit more with the record, that kind of connection with, I don't want to say the audience, but with fellow music fans. Just feeling, you know, trying new channels out, trying new ways of getting out of my comfort zone a bit more as well. Mm-hmm. Which is why we're sat here. Yeah, this, I mean, this is terrifying. <laughs> Completely terrifying. I think, I think we're doing all right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so before we dive into the album, which... You keep dragging me down there. But I would like to talk about some of the projects that you've been doing since Engravings, which is your debut album. So there's been quite a few commissions. Can you tell us about this soundtrack to uh, In the Robot Skies film? Yeah. So it's a score to a film, the first ever long-form film that was made entirely with drones. So... A lot of it's found footage, a lot of it's specially commissioned filmed footage. But yeah, I got approached to do it as part of a Channel 4 project last year that was only originally going to be a short film and then got made into a full-length one. We've been touring it around, I've been doing a live score with it, and it's been really fun, it's a really good experience. How did you connect with, is it? uh, Liam. Yeah, Liam Young. Yeah, Liam Young. He's, He's what's called a speculative architect. So he works in kind of future architecture. So that's architecture that might necessarily never be built. Mm -hmm. So these kind of like dystopian cityscapes. And I really liked his work and I'd heard of him already and he got in contact with me and said, would you like to do this project? 
And I said, yeah, sure, let's try it out. I'd never really done a film before, so it was good, good experience. And I think the film looks really interesting and it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Pretty out there. Um, are the drones themselves characters in it as well? or? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's almost like a first-person first person view from a drone's viewpoint, if that makes sense. So there's a narrative voice over the top okay. that is the drone. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so working on this project, did that make you be more aware of sort of issues like surveillance and the use of drones? Is it something that you were thinking about anyway? Yeah, I think everyone is nowadays. You're so aware that you're being watched and your data is owned, you know, Facebook and Twitter know everything about you. Mm. Instagram knows where you are at any point. It's quite, quite my, terrifying. Yeah, my Facebook knows that I'm here having an interview with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, that is terrifying. And people, I don't know, we get so used to having these channels in our lives where it's like, oh, everyone's on Facebook and Twitter all day long. You don't realise that these aren't, like, these benign things nowadays. Especially with Facebook and Twitter, who have colluded with various governments to provide data and it's it's getting really scary mm. it's kind of why i've been looking at new channels to communicate with people and i think it's good to have these conversations about ways that we can ditch those things and push forward and still communicate and express ourselves but in interesting ways how did you go about writing the music for this film did you have to watch it to death or uh, yeah I got sent bits of it and then kind of came up with a sound palette for it I think naturally a lot of musicians would go with kind of an electronic sound for something like that this, yeah. you know kind of dystopian electronic world but I kind of like bringing it into a more human space so there's lots of human voices on it there's lots of kind of physical primal rhythms um, and it contrasts really nicely I think which is sort of essentially what your music is all about, really. Yeah. Vocals and primal rhythms. So, uh, what was it like to live score this for the first time? Again, pretty terrifying, to and be honest. This it's the first time that I've, I'd ever done it, and it was at <coughs> the BFI Film Festival, which is quite a big deal. So yeah. there were all these amazing premieres that I wanted to go to, and then suddenly I found myself in the programme somehow. Um, and we played at the IMAX, which is like the biggest cinema screen I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But it was really good, and it felt like a, again a good experience. I love nowadays putting myself in in situations where I feel uncomfortable. I think it's really thrilling to do that sometimes. Energy rush. Yeah, completely. Adrenaline, and also sort of around the same time you were working with Massive Attack. Yeah. Can you tell me how how that happened? Uh, I got an email out of the blue one day saying, would you like to work with Massive Attack? Oh, right. I love how all these stories are really deadpan. Yeah, I'm so sorry. With me here. I mean, I wish, there was, I wish there was more interesting like anecdotes behind it. Okay. But I think they'd heard a record, or specifically a guy called Cameron McVeigh, who was the producer on their classic album Blue Lines. He'd heard the record, and I'd been in contact with him about various stuff. And they were doing some new music. They take their time with new music but they wanted me to get involved, and I said, yeah, of course. So I wrote some drums for them, I did some drum programming, and it came out recently, yeah, I'm really, really excited by it. Working with one of your favorite bands is always a huge thrill. Yeah, is there more to come? I hope so, I hope so. Okay. Massive Attack work on their own time scale, yeah. so I can't really dictate that. Have you had any verbal or physical contact with them? Or no, I've never met them. It's all through email. Damn. They seem nice, though. Okay. <laughs> Good email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They seem nice on email. Okay, But great. that's how you do things nowadays. You don't necessarily need to be in the same room. Mm. So I could work with someone on the opposite side of the world and, and still be pleased with the end product and be confident with it. Like, I'd never met Liam Young, who did the film, until we did the live score. We'd only ever contacted each other over email. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Really, really exciting. So while we're sort of on the subject of collaborations, maybe let's talk about more physical or personal collaborations. I'd really like to know about this Diamond of Durham project, yeah. which was, uh, well, you can tell us what, what yeah. that's about. So Diamond of Durham was a project that I came up with a, a couple of years ago that was almost like an installation idea. And it was the, about the idea of doing portraiture in sound. You'd sit in front of me like this, and I would do a portrait of you 
as a sound piece, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Okay. So you're going to have to explain. So instead of... Okay, so this all came from the idea that I can't draw. I'm really bad at drawing. And it's always plagued me, and I've been really frustrated by it ever since I was a kid. But I was like, maybe I could do that with sound, because I... I'm aware of like textures and colours and things and I can quite easily feel like I can transport that into sound. A lot of ways I get inspired is by going to galleries or going to see films and seeing textures and colours and shapes and thinking, that looks interesting, how can I translate that into sound? So I kind of came up with the idea of doing that with people and trying to translate a person into sound and their character and their shape and their look. So who was the first subject? I can't tell you. Oh. But I, I kind of like the idea it's anonymous, that's the thing. So they're just kind of anonymous portraits of people. Okay. You might know them, you might not know them, but you just have this kind of sonic relationship with them on some level. So is this something that lasts a long time? Do, you, do people have to sit for days, weeks? Do you, they have to? Yeah, the first track was done in kind of two days kind of refining sounds and eventually it turned into a full track so instead of a sound piece it feels more like a song so I'm looking at doing more of that kind of thing in future it's one of those kind of intermittent things that I'd like to touch on every now and again yeah why do you think it's important to have this sort of crossover musical visual language I think I just go mad otherwise okay so much of my being is is rooted in design and the visual side ever since i was a kid i only wanted to be a designer and a visual artist and it was only completely accidentally that i became a musician so to combine those two things makes total sense to me and i couldn't do it any other way i've tried to give visual work to other people you know tried to like give my friends who are graphic designers an album sleeve to do and it just doesn't quite match up with the vision that I have in my head. So I can collaborate with people, but I could never fully give someone that job yeah. to do. You have to sort of control every aspect. Yeah, not in a control freak way. I don't think I'm too much of a control freak. Okay. But just to make things translate properly, or to make things reconcile with each other properly, I think people can see that when they hear the music and the visuals. I think they know that one person did everything. Mm -hmm. I'd hope so, anyway. So I think it's finally time to talk about the new album. Okay. You ready? <laughs> Going from Engravings and Triangle to now Ninja Tune, can you tell us how this relationship has developed and why, why it's coming out on Ninja Tune? Yeah, Ninja Tune, I'd been talking to for a while and I was friends with some of the people who worked there and it's a really, really good team. And at the moment, the label are just so on point. People like Actress, The Bug, Helena Howe, yeah, so many good people. And the record that I made, the more I thought about it and the more I talked to them, it felt like it made sense with them. They have such a good team there that understand what I'm doing. And also just as a music fan, like being out on Ninja Tune is a big deal. So much of the good stuff back in the day was on Ninja Tune, Cold Cut, all that stuff. To know that they're still on point and they're still pushing things forward, to being a part of that feels super exciting for me. And there's not that sort of big major label kind of no. stick with them as well, which I think, you know, coming they've, from someone who's so DIY approach and that sort of self-releasing is so important yeah. to you. For me, going to a label like Ninja Tune, it's more about having more people to help you out rather than control what you're doing or dictate what you're doing. I basically went to them with the album and the artwork and everything around it and they were like yeah cool let's do it let's do it which is the best way to do it and to help people who are enthusiastic work with you mm. is so cool so it's called compassion how long has it been in the making what inspired it in the first place it's been in the making probably for about 18 months obviously i've been doing other projects i did the film score i did the massive attack work i did the shrine contemporary dance piece i've kind of been working on it on and off over 18 months I don't really like the idea of that I'll ever sit down and be like, okay, I've got to make an album now. I think that's kind of depressing and I don't think I would get inspired by that. Having all these other things to do balances out the pressure in a way. So eventually I found myself with kind of 50 different ideas to sift through. 
and then gradually over six months it was like refining those ideas and drilling down into what I want the al- wanted the album to sound like. Let's maybe take one of those 50 ideas. Okay. What was the sort of starting point? I mean, you've given me a couple of pretty heady themes. I wonder maybe you can t- talk to me about some of them. For example, why is it called Compassion? I like the idea of an album title as a seed. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, I was becoming more and more aware of things like the media and the government putting out words that became part of the dialogue in everyday life. Like Brexit. Like Brexit. Where did Brexit come from? Yeah. I don't know. It just kind of appeared one day and then all of a sudden everyone was saying it. And so I like the idea of using an album title almost like a Trojan horse. You put a word out there to make people think about it or at least make people talk about it. Even if it's in the context of an album title, you're still getting people to say the word on some level. And so I kind of thought that was quite an interesting thing for me to do. But yeah, the album's kind of a bit more, I guess it's a bit more urgent than the last one. It's a bit more faster. I, I found myself becoming attracted to like faster rhythms and more urgent textures and harsher textures. And the idea that I listened to, started to listen to a lot of jazz music. For me, the structures of jazz were really interesting. The idea that songs could break down in the middle and then reconcile and feel like they... Yeah, they, they kind of deconstructed themselves and, and reconstructed themselves was really amazing and definitely influenced a lot a lot of what I was doing. Did you do any crazy writing processes like you did with engravings where you sort of took your laptop out onto Thurston Hill and mixed down the record yourself outside in the cold? Yeah. Was there any of that going on this Yeah, time? I mixed the last record on my laptop outdoors and it was a real pain. Yeah. So I was like, I'm never doing that ever again. <laughs> this one, I was on tour for quite a long time and I'd visited all these cities that were amazing that you'd, I'd only ever spend a day in. So I made a point of going back to some of them to write, try and write music. So I went back to places like Istanbul. I went to Bangkok. I went up to the Highlands in Scotland. Went to New York. London as well. I grew up in somewhere that wasn't a city and so to base myself in cities felt like a really, yeah, again, like quite out of the box thing for me to do. It felt like I was pushing myself a little bit more. My comfort zone is to be in the countryside, out away from everyone else. Mm-hmm. So to be in a city and have that kind of urgent energy, I feel like really distilled itself into the record. So are like certain tracks based around certain cities? Is it site-specific like that? Uh, not really, no. I, I kind of like the idea of taking the energy from different places and putting it into yeah, certain textures, certain melodies. So I started going out to clubs a bit more. I'd never really gone to clubs, which is kind of crazy. I'd never really had that experience. I listened to electronic music lots, but I'd never really been in a club space. So I made the point of going out and maybe partying a bit and loosening up yeah I felt like I loosened up a bit so I feel like some of those rhythms and those yeah that those vibrations have kind of immersed or like soaked itself into the record somehow can you tell me about the sort of mixed media approach to composition so well yeah like parts of it synthesize there's lots of organic instrumentation in there yeah it kind of goes back to the idea that I don't really connect fully with fully electronic music there's always something that's kind of missing for me emotionally sometimes so to have these like organic textures whether it's played by a real person or whether it's computer generated but sounds like it's played by a real person is quite an interesting avenue for me to explore personally just having that like human element to it sometimes makes all the difference did you play any more instruments with this record? No, I'm very, very bad at playing instruments. So anything that was external, I got a a more talented person to play. But I like the ambiguity of having stuff on the record where people don't really know whether it's computer generated or not. So much of the sounds now that you can get from laptops are so sophisticated and almost make humans completely redundant. But sometimes they're a little bit off as well. You can hear something a bit wrong with them. I kind of like that as well. And you decided to share some music via WhatsApp. Yeah. What was the reason for this decision and how did it go? So the current record 
a lot of the things that I was thinking about at the time was stuff like communication and how we talk to each other and the mediums that we talk to each other. I, I don't know anyone that doesn't use WhatsApp all day long now. And I thought, I'm sending images and I'm communicating through images with, with people. I'm sending people pictures or emojis or whatever. Wouldn't it be a cool thing to try and send people music? I don't, I'd never heard anyone doing that before. So I just put on my Facebook, text me, just send me a message on WhatsApp and I'll send you a new song. And it, yeah, it popped off pretty, <laughs> a lot more than I expected it to actually. Okay, so what were you expecting and how many did you get? Um... I was expecting maybe 50 messages and I had to reply to about 650. That's quite a lot. In the course of a day, so I, my thumbs really hurt. <laughs> Uh, but people really dug the idea and I felt very privileged to have that kind of one-on-one -on -one connection with people. I think it's totally different to sending a tweet to someone else or posting on their Facebook wall because you have that kind of intimacy. People talk on WhatsApp with their boyfriends or with their girlfriends or with their parents and it's part of their day-to-day -day lives and so it felt like people could be a bit more open with me or were maybe a bit more intimate than they would be if they just posted it on my Twitter or said hi. So are you still having sort of personal conversations with these people? Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of spiralled a little bit. So I've I sent music to all these 650 people, sent them various kind of album tracks and remixes and stuff, and people are really interesting. There's like messages from Ethiopia and Australia and Thailand and places that I never thought my music would ever get to and yeah it's a really cool way of, of connecting with people and I'm really interested in pushing those avenues forward a little bit and seeing how we can connect a bit more and how artists can just talk to talk to people a bit more because I'm a music fan as well I like talking about music I like talking to people mm. I like talking as you can tell <laughs> <laughs> so why can't we try and find new avenues especially now these these traditional things that we're using like Facebook and Twitter are becoming kind of infiltrated by governments and you know they own us they own that data so finding independent channels or interesting channels to do that moving forward is going to be really important, I think, and new ways to express ourselves. <laughs>